Hey everyone, Patch here. Before you start listening, just wanted to let you know that there was a little bit of a technical difficulty, particularly with my audio. So just know that going in that we are aware. Hopefully we can work those bugs out so that I don't have to put these really annoying intros before the intro. Anyway, happy listening, everyone. Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV series, Behind the Paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me, as always, celebrating the world of long-form storytelling is my friend, Adam. Hey, Patch. How's it going? It's good, man. I'm excited. We are in our fourth episode of season one of Ted Lasso, entitled, what was it? This one is called For the Children. Okay. And going into it, I'm wondering, I think I said last time, I think it's about an orphanage. Yeah, all these episode titles are somewhat cryptic in advance of viewing the episode. You're like, what does that what does that mean? Like biscuits and well, Trent Crim, the independent, was pretty self-explanatory. But all these titles make perfect sense after you see the episode. For sure. I think that's what's clever about episode titles and how TV shows use them. Friends was one of the great examples of that. The one with, and it really just sort of oh. described maybe a component of the episode. And it's what's funny about that is that people for years didn't know the actual episode names for a lot of shows that they were watching. So they would just say, it's the one where that happened. Remember the, the one where they went camping. Mm-hmm. And so the Friends creators decided, let's just go with that. Let's just call the episodes the one where Ross breaks up with Rachel or whatever. <laughs> and it's kind of brilliant. It really is. It really definitely feels meta when it comes to yeah. kind of recognizing <laughs> television culture in that regard yeah and for me the first show that i ever really got hooked on episode titles was star trek (laughs) i i know if you tell me an episode title i will know what episode you're talking about and that's the that's not something i can do with most shows i'll say there was a tv series where i picked up the episode titles like that i would say any show that was created by aaron sorkin there's always one episode called what kind of day has it been in each of his TV series, Sports Night, West Wing, Newsroom. And I think he did the same thing for Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. That, yeah, at least one episode, and it's typically the last episode of the first season that's called What Kind of Day Has It Been? But I've got to go back and verify that he does that for all of his series. I think that's kind of a clever thing that he does. It is cool. Yeah, I, I forgot all about that show, and it. I'm just thinking of it now, how it deserved a longer run. It got canceled way too quickly. You're talking about Studio 60? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't my favorite. I feel that way about Sports Night. I think it was a show that was ahead of its time, and maybe someday on the podcast we'll we'll talk about it, even though it's not behind the paywall and really not on the air anymore. But right, it's right. always one that we can talk about. Newsroom is definitely on our radar, definitely talking about that at some point. But that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about Ted Lasso. Season 1, Episode 4, For the Children. Let's get into it. This is your official spoiler warning. Watch the episode, come back, enjoy the conversation, as we always tell you to do. First up, what did you think about this one? I think this is a really great episode. It's the first episode that, well, at least it feels like it's the first episode where most of the episode takes place in a single, primarily in one location. And I think that's interesting. And in one at one time, like one block of time. It's not throughout the day. 
it it doesn't move around very much. I mean, yes, there's some setup, but it's essentially setting up the the morning of this big kind of gala event. And then most of the episode takes place at this event. And we don't really know even what the event is for until sort of midway through the episode. But I found it to be an episode that causes a lot of things to change in the relationships of the characters. And that's important. This is a show about relationships. And we'll get into what those are towards the end. But yeah, I think almost every major character in this series, something changes in their relationship status, or they might be making a new friend in this episode. And I think it moves the story and the characters forward quite a bit. Yeah, I agree with all of that. This is what I would consider compared to the third episode, a little bit more subdued. There are always great lines as we're finding in the series, but this kind of leans into the drama side of the dramedy. It's really a more subtle episode, but it's also one that pushes the plot forward pretty significantly. There are a lot of changes. The show needs that. We can't just have a series of great lines spoken by various characters, although that'd be fun to listen to, but we're not really getting anything significant. And For the Children is one of those episodes that I think starts to lean into the importance of what the show is trying to do. And it starts out in the locker room at halftime. I don't know who they're playing. I don't think it matters, but clearly (laughs) they're not doing well. They're down 2-0. And this scene really sets up a great conflict between Jamie and Roy that we see play out. So the first of two subplots of this episode that really shine Jamie's just badgering Roy, calls him old man or calls him grandpa, and they just get right into it. And then the opening titles just fly into our faces. So good. Love those. And then we're in Rebecca's office to set up the second subplot of this. She is getting ready for the gala. She's doing the table setup. And there's that great throwaway line between her and Higgins where she is trying to get everybody situated. And one girl that she doesn't really like, she can't put her anywhere <laughs> And Higgins says that she's been kicked by a horse. And Rebecca, showing off some of her character, says... The poor thing, is the horse okay? Which is a laugh in and of itself, but is not inconsistent with how we would expect Rebecca to act towards someone that she doesn't like. (laughs) Well, then we move to the pitch. And this is where I think a lot of the fun happens for the episode. I absolutely love the reference to West Side Story that... Ted compares these two sides of the locker room, the Jets and the Sharks. But I also love the fact that Nate corrects him with regard to when the knife fight takes place. Ted looks at him. Not in the gymnasium. Yeah, it's not in the gymnasium. In fact, when when I listened to Ted say that, I was like, no, it didn't happen. And then Nate comes in and saves the day. And I'm like, way to go, Nate. Thanks for clarifying that. Don't mess up one of the great musicals of all time. Yeah, and I love how Ted says... uh you think these fellas can solve their problems with a dance-off at a gymnasium? <laughs> I thought that was pretty I'd funny. like to see that. I'd like to see this, this team, yeah. FC Richmond, solve their problem with a dance-off. Maybe not at a gymnasium, but possibly on a soccer pitch. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and one of my favorite lines comes from Nate, where he says, When I was 15, I was understudy for Anita. And then there's that awkward pause. And then he goes, Oh, boy, school. And then yeah. everything is... All is right with the world. And then Ted responds to, by, to that by saying, Ooh. We have peeled yet another juicy layer of the Nathan onion. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And the thing that I love about that moment 
is we see Nathan kind of give this affirming hmm look like it's like cool I'm, I'm getting to be part of the gang and like ted says we're, we're getting to know him more and he's feeling more like he's part of the staff and not just the kit man yeah and he's feeling more open to share who he is and more about his past clearly this is not the same nate we've met in episode one he's he's definitely becoming a part of that of the gang and he's and he feels it and that's great and it's good for Ted and Beard as well, because again, they have a, a sort of inside man with him. He's their connection right now to the team that was there prior to their arrival. And Beard gets a nickname, Mr. Two Entrees, according to Ted, That's because right. he will not decide between chicken or steak for the gala event. It's also revealed that he has a date. And when <laughs> when that's revealed, the, the look on Ted and Nathan's face, the look that they give him is just priceless. Yeah, and Ted, of course, decides, oh, he has to pick a plus one. So he decides to take Nate the Great. And I love when he says, Nate the Great, it's going to be my date. And for obvious reasons, we'd love to be at table eight. <laughs> uh, Ted just loves a good rhyme. I'm telling you, he is he is a poet. He's the poet laureate of yeah. FC Richmond, apparently. <laughs> so the episode moves into Rebecca's office. She's trying to get the right dress. And Ted comes in. I think he's giving her biscuits. I don't know. Maybe it's just the middle part of the day, but then he yells out, Pajama Friday, oh, I love this. You know, and he's looking at all these dresses. <laughs> There's an interesting moment here, Adam. He asks if Jamie and Roy can sit at his table because he wants to try to mend some fences. Rebecca says, sure. Right. But he still pushes. Like, he starts giving an explanation on why he's going to do that. That's when he goes into the mending fences, and Rebecca says, stop. You got what you want. This is one of those small observations, and I'm like, yeah. Ted, what's happening here? Yeah, stop. It's so true. You're, you've yeah. got what you need. Back off. <laughs> yeah, you can go now. Yeah. I think he's the kind of guy that would just keep talking if Rebecca didn't, right. didn't say anything. He <laughs> would just want to hang out and just keep talking and continue to get to know her, find out what she's thinking, what she's doing, where, what she wants. He's that kind of guy. And Rebecca cl clearly has to draw the line with him repeatedly and say okay okay enough you can go now <laughs> and this is also where we find out that robbie williams has canceled to be the musical act and that's right. higgins steps in my man higgins steps in to find someone better he says i am a world-class problem solver <laughs> physical comedy on full display here he promptly tosses his cell phone in the air to try to catch it almost drops it and it's just fantastic i don't know if you could choreograph that any better or with any other person on this staff cast whatever we're calling yeah. him but he is just so perfect in that moment where he's trying to impress ted he's trying to impress rebecca you know he's the director of operations which to her means nothing she's just he's just her lackey but yeah. being able to deliver that line and then do that was so perfect and just a great way to end the scene and Ted's sort of reaction, like, oh, you got it. Oh, catch it. Oh, look at that. You know, he's just kind of like giving the play-by-play -play as <laughs> the phone like hits like one hand and flips over and he's just, and somehow he catches it. Yeah. So. so then we shoot over to Jamie's kitchen where he is trying on an outfit, looking very dapper, I might add. Jamie's a good looking guy and he doesn't like what he's wearing. Keely's trying to tell him about this high fashion and how all this stuff is going to be great for his career. And honestly, Adam, I think what he does is pretty cool. 
because what we've seen so far is Jamie's his own guy and he can make his image work for himself. And what he does, I think is perfect for him. He takes off the shirt. He takes off the tie. Keely's freaking out. And then he puts the jacket back on and he turns around and looks at her and she gives him that nod of approval. Like you did good. And I thought, you know what? If there's anything good at this point to say about Jamie Tart, it's that he knows who he is. Unapologetically, he absolutely yeah. knows who he is. Yeah, as he makes a comment that he looks like a banker. He feels yeah. like a banker. And I think that's a great point. That's not who you are. That's not what you want to be. So why dress that way? So he kind of found a middle ground, right? Wearing a, a sport jacket with no shirt. Yeah, that's not a common thing. But it's, you know, it's an event that he could get away with it. You know, there's some maybe certain other types of situations where that wouldn't be permissible. But in this particular event, it seems like it's it works. He's a rich fit footballer, as Keeley would say. <laughs> so I think he can get away with that. So the episode moves to the street outside Ted's apartment, and he is apparently sending a voicemail to his wife. Something interesting here that I think you probably picked up on. He's telling her how proud he is of the suit. He said, I'm wearing that suit that you told me to bring. And he's so mm-hmm. happy that it's like looking good on him. And he goes, uh, yeah, okay. So uh, that's it. I love, I miss you. And uh, you go ahead and give the little guy a squeeze for me. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. He clearly realizes that he's not supposed to say that anymore, but he clearly feels it even if his wife doesn't. So right. it's, it's, a, it's a little subtle moment, but it makes sense for his character. Mm-hmm. And where he is at this point yeah, in, in his relationship. As I'm watching this series, I'm starting to appreciate the writing, which I did the first time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think when you listen to or watch shows that are a lot of comedy, a lot of great comedic writing, those are the things you remember. But I think what Ted Lasso has done so far is has shown us those subtle ways of delivering lines. And I think that one, I love, pause, I miss you, really says a lot. It's a callback to the very first episode where she's getting very, you could tell that even though we don't hear her on the other end of the phone, clearly that's not something that she needs to hear or wants to hear. Gives us a little bit of intrigue. And ultimately, that line that we hear in this episode sort of has a little payoff at the end, which we'll get to. So anyway, he meets the troubadour, with that fantastic instrumental setup. And then he meets up with Nate, who is wearing a suit that I think the talking heads would be proud of. It's a little (laughs) bit too big for him. It's apparently his dad's suit. He he says something like, why would I buy? I didn't feel like buying a suit. So I just decided to wear my dad's. Yeah. It does not fit at all. It doesn't fit. And Ted extends an olive branch. He, He says in the way that, is very courteous to Nate. He says, hey. You one of those guys that likes it if your friends tell you you got a piece of food in your teeth? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay, good. Because that suit does not fit at all. So he tells Nate in his own Ted way that he'd like to buy him a suit, wants to make sure that he looks good. And then the scene shifts over to the red carpet of this gala event that we've been getting hints of. So I have a question for you, Adam. What were some of your favorite poses from some of these uh, FC Richmond staff? Did you have one that stood out to you? I mean, not really. I just thought they all loving it, Mm -hmm. right? They're loving the spotlight. They're loving the cameras, all of them except 
Roy. He was just like, no, no. <laughs> like, as he's walking through, like, just, he doesn't want to stop. He doesn't want to give, he doesn't want to give him anything. He's just such, so in character. What about you? Did you have one that really stood out for you? Well, like I said, they're all great. And I think what they do really well is they show off the personality types of these individuals that we know so far. Yeah. The common ground being, with the exception of Roy and Rebecca to an extent, all these guys are just absolutely loving the spotlight. Sam stands out to me because I love that he says, Hey, uh, thank you guys so much for taking my picture. Uh, what are your names? <laughs> like he's going to try to have like a relationship with these reporters and these photographers. So I thought that was great. Second was obviously Jamie doing the two eyebrows and then the confused look. And then, of course, Keely comes in and says, Okay, now we're going to take the picture that they're actually going to run. And <laughs> right. it's, of course, them together, her kissing him, and it's great. And then... Rebecca comes in, and this begins to be, I think, the cracking of the Rebecca nut with her and Keely. This is set up in the middle of the last episode, and now we get a little bit more of it. She has these awkward poses, but Keely helps her out by telling her how to yeah. how to look. And then <laughs> there's that one. And kind of cheering her on, too. Kind of, she'll, she went around behind the photographer. Yeah, and she says, of... oh, look, she's f***ing sick. <laughs> And then you see Rebecca's confidence rise and she's like, oh, I can do this and I do look good. And she starts enjoying it. And I think that's the key is that Rebecca was always playing second fiddle to her now ex-husband, Rupert, at this event. And now for the first time, she's running the show and it's not second nature to her. This isn't what she ever really wanted, but now it's up to her. And Keely kind of helps to bring her out of her shell a little bit. You mentioned on the last episode how an interesting fish or a different kind of girl Keely is. This is one of those things. And that moment where she gets behind the reporters and yells, I thought, was very Keely and very much a great way to end the scene because it felt yeah. awkward and it felt, oh man, you can feel some of the sadness with Rebecca, but breaking up that with, uh, with a little bit of a line of dialogue, it was so much yeah. fun. So we move inside the gala and the first thing we see is Ted and Nate. Nate's got this great suit on. And it fits. It fits. <laughs> That's a great point. It fits. That's the key. It's the key. <laughs> the other key is that he starts doing the strut that we saw in the last episode, which I will call the patch wedding strut. And Ted <laughs> says, don't strut. Let the suit do the work. And of course he stops. <laughs> and then we, we, get, we get this cut over to Beard talking to a girl. And this is when we get mm -hmm. introduced to Jane indirectly, who apparently he met at his Friday night chess club adam are those things real yeah. do those exist in new york uh, do you know if they exist in new york i do not know i do play chess but i've never been a part of any chess club but this works with his character because in the last episode we learned that he was the head of the chess team at illinois state and they won the state championship so i like that that's a subtle little thread for his character that they mentioned and now they continue it through, but I'm not sure when and how he found out about a local chess club after being in England for, I don't know, two weeks. I mean, how long do you think they've been there at this point? Two weeks, three weeks? It's, I think at least two weeks, possibly three, yeah. because we've seen two matches. Right. And if we assume that they take place on Saturdays. Every Saturdays. Yeah. Then, then we can assume that they've been there for almost a month. So I can believe that he's found one. I almost believe that that's where he was before the morning of him being exhausted, which if that's the case, that just makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were up all night playing chess, perhaps, and then that's why he maybe kind of went, meh, <laughs> like it wasn't what you think it was, right? Yeah. Uh, and this is also an interesting moment because we see 
I think, for the first time, beard without a hat on. And it's interesting because it's like you don't know when someone wears a hat all the time like that, you don't quite know what to expect with their hair. And it's sort of different than what you would expect. He he has a bit of a receding hairline, I would say, and he looks good, but it just he looks different because we're so used to him being on the pitch with a cap on. And uh, I thought I thought that was interesting. And I just want to ask again, I know we mentioned this in a previous episode. When I first saw the show, I thought Beard was his nickname because he had a beard. But it's his actual name. Yes. And I just think Coach that's beard. so interesting. Is that is that a real surname? <laughs> beard? Um I don't I don't know any beards, but actually no, I do know a beard. You do. Interesting. Yes. She's not a beard anymore. She's now a Gibson. She got married. Uh-huh. But yes, her last name was Beard. And she did not have a beard, by the way. That uh, that that's that's important yeah but uh, yeah it just it's interesting i always thought it was kind of like a bit of a joke because he has a beard right and it was hard to know if that was an intentional joke or if it was just a nickname that ted had for him like this is coach beard my buddy over here he's got a beard you know like (laughs) it makes sense with ted's character that it could be a nickname yeah but anyway and up to this point we're in episode four we don't know his first name he has just been beard or coach beard so (laughs) maybe that'll be a mystery to solve or just coach as ted Ted just calls him coach. What do you think? You know, one of the things that finishes off this scene really well is Ted on a rare occasion. This is the rare occasion that he makes a pun without realizing it. He says in referencing beard and his relationship with Jane, he says, apparently they liked each other's moves. (laughs) Oh, that wasn't a joke. Was it not? I guess it kind of was. (laughs) So Ted surprises himself by making a joke that, uh, that doesn't actually, it wasn't right. intentional. And then we move to the table of conflict, I guess I would call it. It's not table eight, by the way. I know. That was just his hope that he yeah. wanted to be seated at table eight because it would rhyme with date, <laughs> with date and Nate. Yeah. And that's just Ted. He tries to get the conversation started. Keely actually steps in and makes a great compliment about Nate's suit, says she looks, he looks really, really chic. This is probably my Tedism or my my favorite line of the entire episode. He said in this suave way, It's actually only the second suit I've ever owned. The first one was my suit when I was a naked baby. That's <laughs> so <And> awkward. Then... <laughs> the way he says it, everyone just looks at him like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, well, it's funnier when Ted says it and Ted goes, Well, the term birthday suit would have helped oh, you a ton. There, God, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... Oh, man, Nate, you almost had it, man. You almost did. He's trying. He's trying. He really is. He's just got some social awkwardness he's got to get over. But yeah, he's making an effort. Yeah. So Ted says, I parent trapped y'all. He's trying to get the conversation going. You know, one of the things that I picked up from from this moment is that he makes a comment that teammates find common ground and and mutual respect. And Mm -hmm. he references uh, Kobe and Shaq. He references Woody and Buzz. And I think one other, I think that's really cool that even off the field at at an event that is not even related to Richmond football, he's trying to really solve this problem, which I think echoes to what he's trying to teach Roy by being captain, that being captain is being that on and off the field. That's his coaching style. He's a coach all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And he says that uh, I don't like having a divided locker room. And he says something like, yeah, when it comes to locker rooms. I like them just like my mother's bathing suits. I only want to see them in one piece, you hear? <laughs> <laughs> so, he 
does a, a good job of just getting the point across and it doesn't work right away but they are now all probably spending more time together at this table than they have ever spent together off the field and i think that's important that's what ted realizes that ted knows that if they don't have a social interaction outside of the locker room or outside of playing the game that this is never going to get resolved and uh that's sort of like you said that's the genius of of him as a coach is he sees opportunities everywhere to work on these relationships yeah i think that that speaks to how deeply he cares about the people not just the team and recognizing the fact that sometimes being a teammate doesn't mean you have to be a brother now it could be better if that was the case but in this case at this point he's looking for at least that halfway mark of being a comfortable teammate or being a teammate that you can depend on i mentioned on the last episode that i like that there aren't any wasted scenes and not every scene has to be significant but i did mention that it sort of pushes the plot along and so this next scene rebecca at the bar she gets an update on the musical act and later we see Beard and Jane playing virtual chess, which Ted is really impressed with. And I'm impressed with because I could never do that. That's a lot of memory that uh, I don't think I have tapped into quite yet with my brain. But the conversation with Rebecca and Ted is, is really funny because she's nervous about speaking. And he said, hey, oh, here's a little trick of the trade. Just make fun of yourself right off the bat. A little joke. She asks him, what do you think I should say about myself? And just the delivery back and forth the nonverbal. she goes you're not going to walk into that one he's basically going nope and so he leaves and you think the scene's over and then he comes back and goes wait I no i'm gone <laughs> and i'm like ted yeah don't do that yeah there's nothing he can say there yeah there's nothing good he can that can come from suggesting anything there just leave while you still can get your beer and go and this is about when I think we finally hear the name of the event, that it's the 10th annual benefit for underprivileged children. So yes. now we're kind of like, oh, the title for the children yes. makes a little more sense. <laughs> it is for the children. It really is for yeah. the children. And I think at one point in the episode, they say the line, there's this little tradition that I picked up from a friend of mine several years ago where anytime she would hear the title of the movie, in the movie, she would do a little gesture with her finger like, ding. And so I did that whenever I heard For the Children spoken. So we move along. We get to Rebecca's speech. She goes up there. And this is actually the first time we get to see Rupert in all of his jerk glory, <laughs> as I would probably define him at this point. He interrupts. I love how she reacts, how we can see how it makes her feel. Yeah, she's on stage and he kind of shows up. It's like the most inopportune time. And he clearly knows that. He clearly knows right. that by showing up at that moment, it's going gonna, it's gonna to throw her off. So he's clearly there to sabotage her. Yeah. And he's obviously upset that he lost his team to her. And he, well, he's, he's kind of in his own way trying to get revenge. But I love how she holds her own, Adam. Yeah. She banters with him. She says, put him at the boring table. And then people laugh. And she's like, just kidding. Rupert Murdoch, everybody. And man, Rupert that's kind of Rupert Sorry, <laughs> Rupert Murdoch. Who's Rupert Murdoch? I don't know. I think he is. runs Fox News from Australia. Oh, my guy. gosh. Yeah. Yes. He, from the Bombshell. Australian. Oh, gosh. My bad. Wow. That's yeah. equally of a jerk. So maybe I <laughs> subconsciously right. did that. So, yes. Rupert yeah. Banyan, or maybe everybody. they intentionally named him Rupert thinking, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say that. So it doesn't make me sound as bad on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get back, we're back to the table. 
Ted's talking to Roy, trying to kind of psychologize him a little bit. And he leaves the table, but not before saying that little word of wisdom. Don't let the wisdom of age be wasted on you. I really latched onto that. And then, of course, Nate comes in incredibly grateful to Roy and makes that awkward hug because he was going to hug him, but was afraid. And then he just goes for it. (laughs) And then Roy just sits there like, all right, that's fine, whatever. Yeah, I mean, he's thanking him because there's a, a quick scene right before this where he confronts Isaac and one of the other players, Colin and Isaac, I think their names are. Yeah. And they say, we're not allowed to, we're not allowed to mess with you anymore. And I think it was Isaac says, yeah, Roy headbutted me. I'm still, I'm still dizzy half the time. The doctors told me not to drink. And then he takes a swig Take of his beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so Nate clearly finds out that Roy stood up for him and just wants to express his, you know, his gratitude mm-hmm. for that because finally he feels like maybe I'm not going to get razzed all the time. Yeah. yeah. So then we meet Rupert officially when he's introduced to Ted. It's interesting to watch this because I think that the strategy he uses to get at Rebecca, he tries to do the same thing to Ted in these little backhanded ways. He said, I don't love our last two losses, though. Horrible showing. Yeah. Had to say it. Wish I didn't. And Ted honestly says, It's okay. Who knows? Maybe we'll turn around, huh? <laughs> And I think that really just pisses him off because one, he doesn't get to Ted and two, right. It almost makes him feel worse because he's like, really, this manager doesn't care about winning or losing. I mean, obviously he has not read Trent Krim's article, but right. I like that line a lot because it's almost like this to throw it back a couple of scenes ago, a chess match between these two where they're sort of feeling each other out. And by the end of the scene, I came to the, Strong conclusion that Rupert is an absolute jerk, and I have no qualms oh, with, yeah. with that conclusion at this point in the show. No, and and I think in this scene too, Rebecca is a bit torn because she clearly initially wants Ted to make Rupert feel annoyed and uncomfortable. That's her whole plan, right? She she wants she brought him over so that he would ruin the team and that would upset Rupert, and so. In this scene, you can start to see a bit of her sort of inner battle with, do I want to ruin the team and ruin Ted and make this all come crumbling down? Or I kind of like Ted and I don't, I don't, and he's kind of standing up for me a little bit here and, and making Rupert uncomfortable right back. So there's, it's interesting to see that dynamic play out in this episode. Yeah, there's some duality going on with her where yeah. I think she feels a little bit of conflictedness because of the fact that Ted is starting to kind of get to her in a positive way. And so what we see later, I think, is this teetering of another heart that is being changed. And this is sort of the start of that, or at least a good push towards that. In this scene, she also mentions the idea of hosting, and she convinces Rupert to host it instead. So Right, to host, well, to host the auction. Host the auction, right. Yeah, right, right, right. And so for the children, for the, for the children. And that's where the, that's where the the episode title comes in. (laughs) Dink, right there it is. There it is again. (laughs) So Rupert hosts the auction. He starts Cheryl Barnaby. Yes. The Richmond's premier breeder of Shetland ponies. Yes. What a great. (laughs) I had to write that down. (laughs) (laughs) That's a mouthful, man. That's a mouthful. Yeah. But she is definitely making everything awkward. She is. Oh, awkwardly so hitting on Jamie, who has spilt, I guess, some kind of soup on his chest. Yeah. 
and is and burned his burned nipple. his nipple where he puts a piece of ice on it. And Roy says, uh, "Yeah, another reason shirts exist." <laughs> right. And though at that and that woman comes over and says something like, "I wish I was that ice <laughs> so cube. awkward. I'll be bidding on you." It's so awkward. <laughs> it's, it's, and everyone's just looking at her like, "What? Who are you?" And and yes, she does end up bidding on yes. him. Yes, both both he which and Roy is, does not make. <laughs> Yeah, which doesn't make either no, of them happy. <laughs> this is also the first instance during the auction, the beginning of the parts of the auction, of Keeley's jealousy. Yeah. Because of the the woman in the green dress who bids right. on Jamie, and then she bids up to 25,000 pounds yes. for a man she could have had for nothing, as Rupert says. And, and this is one of the rare moments I would agree with Rupert. I mean, I know what's going on, but still, that's a lot of money to pay to hang out with your boyfriend. So. <laughs> well, and I think from her point of view, it was more not to spend a night with him, not to pay. It was to pay to prevent someone else from spending a night with him, especially when it was a beautiful younger woman that clearly wanted to win. And knowing Jamie, he probably would not have uh, been able to make it a a dinner only evening. So it was uh, more, I think, strategic on her part to avoid something. But we do learn, unfortunately, a little bit later in this episode that this woman in the green dress named Bex was actually invited by Jamie as his second plus one, which is kind of weird. Like, isn't a plus one, wouldn't that just be a plus two? I think it's a plus two, Yeah, which isn't allowed. Just like you can't have steak and chicken, (laughs) you can't have two people. A second plus one, yeah. So the, the show moves or the episode moves to outside the gala. And I'll confess, this is actually my favorite scene of the episode. Mm. And I subtitled it, Rebecca Gets Vulnerable. She's out there. She's trying to maintain her composure. Clearly, she's been crying. Ted, in this gentle way, says, hey, you okay? And she says, That man, you know, is... I used to think his blunt honesty was noble rather than what it really is, which is just the cruelest way of hiding his own insecurities. He'd say, wear this, eat that. And I listened. But now I'm alone. I'm alone, Ted, just like he said I would be if I left. I don't want to be alone. And then she cries. Yeah. And you can see Ted's reaction. Jason Sudeikis' acting here is brilliant because you can see that he's legitimately concerned about her as a human being. And he goes over and starts to hug her. And at first she, you know, in her typical fashion, kind of resists. But then she hugs him back a little bit. And I think this is a really key moment for their relationship and just for Rebecca's sort of ability to move past this divorce as well. This is the first time, I think, that she's even seen Rupert in person since the divorce. So not just us as the audience, as you mentioned, but she hasn't uh, been around him in any way. So I'll say this. The way that she reacts as she's emceeing and she sees him for the first time and the way that we see that she feels culminating to this moment, I've experienced that. I had a very deep relationship with a woman we were engaged and we had a bad breakup. And for the longest time, anytime I would see her on social media or 
occasionally I would get a text about something random from her, like, do you remember having this? I'm looking for it. There would be this thing in my gut that would just feel awkward. It would feel weird. And it takes a while to get over that. And so as recently as maybe like a year or two ago, she sent me a message on Messenger. And it was the first time that I felt like I could read something and not feel like like the feeling went away, like it was eventually gone. Right, right. No, I think that's that rush of feelings, especially like as soon as you see their name or see their face in any in environment in that type of situation, you just get all those feelings that you thought you had kind of put away, buried down, they just come right back and all those memories. And if they're not good memories, that's not a good thing because you're suddenly, whatever you're in the middle of doing, you're like, what, wait, what, what was I thinking? What was I doing? Like you just, it, it gets crowded. You don't want to, especially if you're on stage, like Rebecca's was, she did a remarkable job, in my opinion, of sort of dealing with that, that situation on, on the fly. Absolutely. So watching her react this way outside was very much a real thing. Like I could really empathetically connect to that. So she cries and, and Ted consoles her. He says, it's going to be okay. And the scene ends with this look that she gives him. He doesn't see the look. He's walking in. But she gives him this look, and that look says, I trust this man. I believe in what he's saying. And it's almost as if we've made this giant leap forward in her relationship with him that maybe he's not such a bad guy. Maybe he's not just the linchpin that's going to bring FC Richmond down, or maybe not. But maybe I'm seeing something that matters more when it comes to my grief. It's very interesting how the scene is left. It's it's just really good. I agree. It's yeah, it's an excellent scene. And it's probably for me second only to the next scene, which I loved, which is when Roy approaches Jamie at the bar and tries to bring them together. You know, he sort of takes Ted's advice and realizes I'm I'm the older guy here. I need to be the first to extend an olive branch. And I just thought that whole scene really worked in an amazing way. Roy was able to sort of tell Jamie about his time coming up in the sport and sort of relate to Jamie as a, I think, 23-year-old player and be able to find some common ground. And they're both able to sort of air their grievances, right? They're both able to say what they don't like about the other and and sort of by acknowledging that, they can move past it. And hopefully they do. And they even, they have a laugh. They, they, you know, they say a cheer. They even say a cheer together at the end, but they're cheering over like Roy dying, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> but even Roy was kind of like cheers, you know? So just, uh, it was a really important scene for their relationship. As we mentioned, a lot of relationships in this episode change. And clearly we're seeing the beginning of some, at least some respect for one another. Not they're like you said, they're not going to become best friends, but maybe they can start working together and not taking shots at each other every chance that they have right. going forward. Right. There's less tension, even though yeah. there's not complete agreement about each other. I love the conversation. I love the honesty that we saw in the last episode that it just carries over into this. Yeah. One, one last thing that I thought was really interesting was when Jamie admits that he, as a kid, used to love watching Roy play as a kid. And that he even had a poster of him hanging on his wall in his bedroom. I I just that for Jamie, that's a huge step too to to admit that, right? To somebody that he continues continues to call granddad and old man and just constantly ragging on him. So I feel like 
Jamie, in his own way, was being more vulnerable than he's ever been by admitting that. And it also shows how much older Roy is if Jamie was a kid watching Roy play when he was in his prime, which is which would have been like eight or nine years earlier. As we've talked about, Roy doesn't look that old, but there's enough of an age gap that they really are two different generations. Yeah, something interesting happens when you watch a set of dialogue play out between two characters and someone admits they're wrong. It suddenly makes the other person kind of feel less than perfect. So we, we're cheering for Roy because we think Jamie's a jerk. And then Jamie makes that honest comment that, as you said, he grew up watching him and idolizing him. But watching him now, it looks as though he feels like something's owed to him, like people come in and have to kiss his ring, as Jamie says. And he's not wrong. I mean, Roy feels like he's owed something to an extent. And I think that's where some of his gruffness comes from is he's unhappy because he's not in his prime anymore. But because of that, he's losing some respect. So in a lot of ways, getting that honesty from Jamie creates some vulnerability with him. And it also allows us to see that Roy isn't perfect either, that he's got some growing up to do, even though he's a granddad, as Jamie says. But, uh, but yeah, it's a fantastic scene that, that changes their relationship, that allows us to see a little bit of reconciliation, a little bit of movement forward, but also keeping that tension there, knowing that it's not a 80s or 90s sitcom wrap-up like we've always been used to. And again, I think that's what this series is doing, is it turns that idea of a sitcom sort of on its head. It says not much is going to wrap up so perfectly in a nice bow that it's still going to be tension and it's still going to be tough to to get through things. And that's what makes the show interesting, because we don't know how this relationship is going to play out. So we move from Roy and Jamie at the bar the camera pushes over and we see Ted and Rupert. This is what I would call yet another chess move that Ted makes. He says, Hey, Rupert, something just occurred to me. If you could have texted Robbie Williams, asked him to come tonight, you could have probably just as easily asked him not to come. Because earlier in the episode, that's what Rupert says. He finds out that Robbie Williams isn't coming and he says, Oh, I could just, you know, make a quick text message and, and get him here. Just ask Rebecca if that's going to be okay. Well, Ted picks up on that. And that set of lines that he says is so great. I almost see it as a way to say, you're not going to mess with her anymore. Like he's coming to her defense, not as her boyfriend, not as her husband, but as a person who says, it stops now. Right. And this is after that scene with him and Rebecca, where he's finally getting what kind of relationship they had. He didn't know that much about him. He's coming from America. He's focused on the team. He, this is his new boss. He's not concerned about her breakup and her former marriage, but now he is. For the first time, he's sort of looking at him in a new light because he just had that very important sort of heart-to-heart -heart with Rebecca, and so he's feeling a little protective of her now, and he's not afraid to, to speak up. <laughs> even if, if she might be. And so from there, we get this great little moment with Ted and Higgins. Ted asks him to come on this little adventure with him because he's going to try to solve the issue of the musical artist that's going to perform at the gala. I'm not sure if you noticed this, but Higgins agrees, and then he gags at the end. Like he makes some kind of like and then runs. And I'm wondering, like, what's up with that? Was that, was he nervous or did he, 
don't know what that is. And maybe you didn't see it, but <laughs> I'm not sure either. <laughs> he does a lot of strange things. He has a lot of funny mannerisms, and I'm not sure what all of them mean. <laughs> so it just, yeah, it was a little out of nowhere. I don't know if he's just so. Now, he was tasked with solving this problem, right, from the very beginning of finding a replacement uh, musician, and clearly he's been unsuccessful. There were several sort of humorous scenes where he, like, approaches her and says, you know, I have, I have a whole list of, uh, of firm no's. You know, Process of elimination. So he's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think he's just so anxious at this point that he, there's going, I mean, we're down to the wire here. <laughs> there's not a lot of time left. There's still no musician. And I think he's just feeling like I can't solve this problem, even if I'm supposed to be a world, what is it, a world class problem solver or fixer. It's like he might just be on the verge of, of, of vomiting because he's, you know, he, he could lose his job over this for all he knows. So, but, you know, Ted with his optimism is just like, come on, let's go on a little adventure. And they find a solution. And I think I might not be alone in that. I kind of expected that that busker, you know, on the street to be uh, to come into play at some point. And I kind of had that thought, oh, wait a minute. Who does Ted know that's a, mus a musician in England right now? It's the street performer. So I kind of had that glimmer of that idea in my head earlier in the episode when Robbie Williams canceled. I sort of, I don't know why, just kind of popped in there. It might be just me as a writer, you know, putting my writer's hat on. I think that could lead to something. But um, as you said, there's no wasted scene. So we see him tip him on the way to the event when he meets up with Nate. So why was that scene in there? It's It all kind of adds up uh, towards the end. He brings him back. But before he brings that street performer to perform, there's some other important scenes that happen, such as uh, Rebecca and Keeley's moment in the bathroom where they they share a drink and they have a conversation. And this is where it's sort of revealed by Rebecca to Keeley that the woman in the green dress named Bex, who was bidding on Jamie, was actually his other plus one, as she puts it. And and that, of course, really upsets Keeley and makes her even more jealous. And we can see that something is going to happen because she's not she's not having it. What did you think of the scene? I, I thought it was a really important, again, another important moment for the two of them and their bonding and starting to trust. And it sort of builds on the moment on the red carpet that you talked about earlier. Absolutely. I think this was kind of the reciprocation of what Keeley did for Rebecca on the red carpet. I think what makes this scene really work is that you're getting that reciprocation, but also there is... One of the great threads of Ted Lasso is it's not just about optimism. It's about lessons learned. And Rebecca talks to Keely about, she's asked the question, Keely says, did you ever date a footballer? And Rebecca laughs. And she says, sorry, I don't want to sound judgy. And Keely says, no, it's okay. You, you do sound judgy. <laughs> so again, that honesty is so good. But Keely mentions the characteristics of a footballer. She says, I, I like dating footballers. I dated a 23-year-old when I was 16 or eight, eight, I think she said 18. 18. Yeah. And now I'm 30 years old and I'm dating a 23-year-old footballer. And she lists the characteristics. I, I like them. They're simple. They're rich. They're fit. And then Rebecca says, what about accountable? And to me, that's a mic drop moment right there. Yeah. She's basically telling right then and there, that's her way of telling Keely, it's time to let Jamie go you know he's 
he's not quite what you deserve. But it's not just about Jamie. I think it's what Rebecca says regarding her 12-year marriage to Rupert. She said, I was married to a man for 12 years who never once took responsibility for any single one of them. He essentially got away with everything. He never had to own up to anything. Yep. And still hasn't, And right? still hasn't. And there's a, yeah. a couple of scenes where we see him hitting on Bex. I think he takes her home with him, which is just gross. Yeah. It's absolutely disgusting. I think he does, yeah. And why is she going home with him? Like, why? why he's clearly like it's 75 gross. years It's old. gross. <laughs> I don't know if he's that old, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a it's a fantastic scene. And then we cut back to the the auction, the last footballer of right. the night. We don't get to see any other footballers, any other FC Richmond guys. It's just Jamie and Roy. No. And no. we finish up with the with with Granddad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so grumpy up on stage. Just <laughs> He is. But something interesting happens here, Adam. Most of the time that grumpiness and that you know, the facial expressions yeah. are played for laughs. When we see how he's being bid by Keeley and by Cheryl Barnaby, back and forth, back and forth, but Keeley's looking at Jamie. The expression on Roy's face of being mad, getting embarrassed, it was priceless. And you could tell he was not having it. This is this is beyond fun. This is not just about money. This is about him being, again, I'm going back to these chess references, being a pawn in yeah. this game that Keeley and Jamie are playing from his perspective. And he even, he even says something later on to Keeley. He says something to that effect, like, I don't want to be a pawn in your game or I don't want to be used. You know, this is, he clearly can, he, he can see what's going on, yeah. even if they don't, even if the two of them can't see it. Yeah. He does that in the last episode where he says, I don't like being made fun of. I don't like being embarrassed. He says something similar in, in Trent Crim, The Independent, but he says that, I believe, in that scene later with Keeley and Jamie, and she ends up saying, I'm sorry, that was wrong of me. And he says, thank you. To jump ahead a little bit, Jamie is just kind of taken aback, and this is right before she breaks up with him. He says, what are you saying sorry to him for? Being accountable matters, Jamie. You're done. And she leaves. And and he's like, whatever. You know, that that's his one word response. Yeah. Whatever. Like he doesn't even care. He just He just yeah, yeah. he's completely clueless. So she yep. she takes off. But moving back to the to the to bidding on, on Roy. Yeah. Yep. So Rupert finishes that up by doing probably the most <laughs> I would call it jackass thing to do. Yeah. He pulls out this check for 1 million pounds that gets Rebecca over the 800,000 pound mark. And I'm thinking mathematically, was she trying to get a total of 800,000, which means every donation that came in didn't matter because yeah. Rupert just cuts a check. If that's the case, his douche meter just went to like 12 or 15 out of 10 because that's right. just not cool. They didn't even need to have this gala because he just he could have just written a check as he as he says to Rebecca, leans over and goes, For the children, eh? You know, and it's like he's just like turning the knife at that point because clearly this whole event, all the work she put into it, all the players that 
you know, put themselves up for auction. It was really all for nothing if he was just going to donate a, mil- a million pounds at the end of the evening. I mean, granted, they probably raised, let's say they raised 800,000 on top of that. Great. Maybe they raised 1.8 million pounds, right? That's still good. Right. But it it sort of undercuts everything that she did to make that 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 event a success. Right. As Ted mentioned, she put in a lot of work. He was telling yeah. that to, to Rupert in one of their earlier conversations that, man, she's dealing with a lot because Rupert was like, is she okay? And, you know, he doesn't really mean what he's asking. He doesn't really care. Yeah. But Ted hints at the fact that she's put a lot of effort into this, even as we see earlier in the episode where she's trying to put the tables together. She's trying to pick out a dress. I agree with Ted. I think she wears the heck out of that dress. I mean, she is beautiful. And, of course, her arms, you know, like action figures are still on display. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So after that, we move to outside the gala. It's done. I love this tender moment between Ted and Rebecca. He comes out. He says, how you doing? She goes, all right. And they look over and they say, see Rupert being the dirty old man that he is, picking up on, on Bex. And he looks back at her and he says, you know, you may think that you're the only one that can see who he really is. But you're not. And again, her look back at him. And it's as if, Adam, she's saying, okay, you're on my team. You really are on my side, that I'm not alone. And to me, when she says, I don't want to be alone, Ted, I know in that moment she means she doesn't want to be without an anchor. But I think at the end, that meaning changes. This is my interpretation, that Her being alone means that she's not supported. And in the course of one night, she now has two new friends in Keeley and in Ted. Yeah. And of course, the coda to that is where Keeley, after she breaks up with Jamie, takes the bottles from the bar, goes out to meet Rebecca and says, Do you want to go get like really drunk? Yes, I do. And we can go rob a bank or something. (laughs) Yep. And they take that crazy taxi that's all lit up. Yeah, the rickshaw. Yeah. Yeah, the rickshaw. And so we get this really great finish to the to the episode where Rebecca is now connected to two new people that she can lean into. And that sets us up for, again, what's going to happen. We don't know. But as you mentioned at the first part of the episode, we are now with some changed relationships so yeah. how are those going to play out on the pitch and off the pitch and in the office and out of the office? <laughs> and so I'm excited to see where it goes from here. There's so much going on here. As I said, like in summation, we have Rebecca and Keely bonding and beginning to form a real true friendship. We have Roy and Jamie make up and resolve that they're not going to fight with each other anymore. And we'll see if that really, <laughs> really plays out or not. Ted also finds out when he listens to his his voicemail messages at the very end of the episode while walking home with Beard that his family is coming to visit the next weekend. So that's a big deal for him. He And you see a little smile on his face that we haven't really seen when mm-hmm. he's talking about his wife or his family. It's something that has been sort of a, the only downer for him really up until this point. So you, you can see he's excited. And Roy, of course, gets mad at Keeley, as you mentioned at the end, but she apologizes and they kind of share a moment as well. So you kind of think, oh, there's something changing with them, Roy and Keeley. Beard and Jane apparently break up. And not that we've really met Jane for very long, but on the walk home, Ted even says to Beard, Put the game before the dame, huh? 
you know, so and I thought that was really funny because there, there's something going on between Beard and Jane, and they break up. And as we said, Rebecca and Rupert saw each other for the very first time since their divorce in this episode, and they had sort of their, you know, their own drama. And then Rupert takes home Bex at the very end, as you said. So there's so many things happening here, so many, to use the chess analogy, so many moves being made on the board with all the different players. And it's all going to clearly play out through the rest of the season. This is sort of, a, I think, a, a big shifting point for, for where all the characters will be going as we move forward. For sure. Well, before we finish up, just a couple of quick highlights. I think there's something fun about Cam all the way from outside, the, uh, the musical act. He puts on a great oh, yeah. show. And I think for me, the highlight of that moment was when we see both Higgins and Beard just going crazy with the like dance. Headbanging, head like totally yeah. like <laughs> into it. These guys just But the whole it. crowd just got up and, and and was just rocking out and it was just a great moment. And he's really talented. I I think Ted calls him an undiscovered mega talent. <laughs> And he does a fantastic job. So once again, kind of Ted uses those relationships that he's formed on the street with, with people he's met to his advantage. So this is where his sort of outgoing nature, he gets a return on that. And uh, it really, it was a great, a, a great end to that episode. For sure. Well, that will wrap up this episode of an original series. We hope you've enjoyed listening. Adam, what's the next episode coming up on this season? Well, next up, we'll be covering episode five of Ted Lasso, season one, which is entitled Tan Lines. Again, Tan very lines. cryptic. What? <laughs> I think if we put all these titles together, maybe they will make a complete sentence <laughs> exactly. of some kind. Maybe yeah. we'll try to figure Tan it out. Lines. <laughs> so, Tan Lines, okay. I have no idea what that means. Yeah, we know what's coming up in terms of we get to meet Ted's family for the first time. So that'll be right. That'll be we fun. know we definitely have that to look forward to. And some of these other relationships will continue to blossom and we'll see where they go. Yeah. Well, thanks for tuning in and joining our conversation, everyone. I'm Patch. He's Adam. And we are out of here.